0: Welcome to the 17. This is a podcast dedicated to sustainability. It's structured around the UN's 17 sustainable development goals. They represent, in essence, a plan to save the planet. I'm Kate Hutchinson and I'm the founder of Yorkshire Sustainability Week. My vision is to help the UK's regions play their part in delivering a sustainable future. Each episode of The 17 is themed around a different one of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. That's why it's called The 17. A new episode drops every month, on the 17th of course. Each episode I'll be joined by a great guest who has real expertise and influence related to one of those UN Sustainable Development Goals. We will try and explain to you why the goal is important, what the current situation is and what actions we can take as an individual regional and even global level to make progress for this month's episode we're taking the chance to revisit some highlights from episodes one and two of the 17 podcast in episode one i spoke to nikki roach about sdg6 clean water and sanitation for all
1: i'm doing quite Mm. an extreme thing and i do recognize that and actually economically it's not a very sensible thing rainwater harvesting for example does not pay back financially. I couldn't, in good faith, recommend rainwater harvesting at the moment to the majority of people, right? I would love that to be different. And there's lots of things and we can maybe get into it that would need to change to make that work. But the people that are just on the cusp of thinking about these things or even not even listening, those are the really exciting conversations to have. So there'll be some people that will always want to make the right environmental decision. And that is amazing. How do we reach the people that are not interested? And how do we reduce the inertia So even if you're not interested, you'll still make a better decision. And then that comes down to maybe better product design, a better price point, more accessibility of the product. It shouldn't be harder. It shouldn't be more expensive. It shouldn't be more complicated to make a good choice for the planet. But at the moment, that's kind of where we are, I think really. So how do we have those other conversations? That's a really interesting stuff, I think. Let's talk about
0: within the UK, what's happening within the UK and what could we be doing better?
1: Well, I mean, there is quite a lot of activity, I think it's fair to say. And what I see in the main are extremely passionate, extremely committed individuals who are focused on doing the right thing for customers and the environment. So it's really hard to see the sector under so much scrutiny at the moment. And it's a bit heartbreaking because I think the difficulty is there's no real nuance in that message. So that's not me saying the water sector is perfect. Far from it. And I am delighted that actually you touched on it, I think, or you implied anyway, there's a change coming. Things like storm overflows, you know, sort of sewage pollution in rivers, BBC documentaries, you know, you'll get Gary Lineker tweeting about it. Like that is now moving into a mainstream topic. If I'd said to you five years ago, should we have a a, a bit of a chat about storm overflows, Kate? I would imagine probably your face would have been quite understandably like blank. So I think (laughs) think there is a move coming.
0: I'll share some stats around the current situation. 85% of the planet's wetlands have been lost. 3 billion people rely on water that is of an unknown quality, it's not being monitored. Over 700 million people live in countries with high or critical levels of water stress. And without action, it's predicted that in 2030, which is seven years away, 1.9 billion people will lack basic hand hygiene Mm -hmm. facilities. They're quite terrifying. So
1: how big is the challenge here, we What are we dealing with? The short answer is it's really big, isn't it? And I think the other thing to add to that is that I think historically we might have heard some of those stats and thought, yeah, but not in the UK. But actually, when you talk about the UK is hugely nature depleted, so not just wetlands, but, you know, we've lost all sorts of species, our biodiversity is in decline. When we think about water stress, there's good parts of the UK that are already water stressed. We're already thinking about potentially being back in drought situations for large swathes of the UK this summer coming. So water stress isn't a thing for a far-flung sub-Saharan country. Water stress is here and in the UK right now. I mean, it's wonderful to hear somebody that isn't naturally in the sector talking like this, Kate. It really is. It fills me with a sense of hope. There's something about helping people understand. It's not hopeless, there's things we can do, but it is happening here and it's happening now. And The empty reservoirs that we saw across much of the country last year and the hosepipe bans that affected many of us will probably come again and they'll keep coming. And we're going to have warmer winters, wetter winters, longer, drier summers. The climate is obviously changing. That impact on water is going to be hugely different. So all of the challenges you've talked about are global, but they're very much local as well. And for me, the real opportunity is how do we start making the connection between these ginormous planetary scale scary challenges and all right i turn the telly off and i go back to doing everything the same what does that mean for me doesn't mean i need to build an eco house though by all means if you want to get in touch and i'll happily tell you all my you know war stories but but what does that mean (laughs) today Tomorrow, next week, what does that mean for those people that have got kids? What are the conversations you have with your kids, or if you're around children and how do we get the next generation thinking differently? So all those incremental gains, those tiny things that we can do that will make bigger differences yes. and then what can businesses do that have a bigger impact? It's at all of those levels that we've got to be having those conversations, but your oh, your passion fills me with hope, Kate, which is wonderful. <laughs> yeah no,
0: I think I think the tide's turning. I can see it. It's exactly why we've moved into this work, you know I, It was playing on my conscience that I needed to do my part. And so what I've decided to do is to flip my skill and focus on how can I support that industry, the sustainable industry, to grow, to become stronger, to actually start having conversations together and not in silos, etc. Because I think you're absolutely right. It's all about those little incremental yeah. increases that will just help mm. everybody along the way. So I am very, I'm very much on the positive side of, of things. I like, I'm an optimist. I look for, look for the positive as, as you do too with Planet possible so tell
1: me what are some signs of hope with the people that you're speaking with I guess one of the big things when I reflected on this a little bit before our conversation is that there are unexpected people having these conversations now and that really does fill me with hope because Mm. actually we've just touched on it haven't we if we want to change things we cannot keep talking to the same people who are already on board like that is not going to change very much at all so we've got to bring new voices in I think when you see, you know, if you watch telly, we're seeing Wild R's, for example, that people are talking about. And that's, you know, RSPB, lots of our NGOs are involved in that. So that's hitting a bigger crowd. You see Matt Damon, for example, Hollywood stars getting involved in programs like Brave Blue World that are films about water. So I think we are starting to see a bit more of a general awareness. Then you've got the kind of pressure groups that we talked about, pushing for inland bathing water designations, pushing for a reduction or a complete elimination in storm overflows. So actually that's captured people's attention. And I think not everything we hear is correct. And that, I guess, when you're inside the sector is really, it's like anything, you know, if you if you work in an organisation and you understand it and then you hear people criticising it and what they're saying isn't completely correct, it's really hard to hear. But actually it's much easier to help have a conversation if people are interested than to deal with apathy, I think. So actually, we've got pressure groups that are interested in this topic that are forcing the narrative. And they don't get me wrong, they have pushed the water sector. Over the next five years, the water sector is going to spend more than it's ever spent by far trying to resolve the storm overflow issue. And that wouldn't have happened without those grassroots and those those, community organisations and charities pushing government and pushing the sector to do things. So I think for me, the hope is that there are unexpected voices and there are young voices. And that's the most hopeful thing, I think, for me. Part of these conversations about water and our environment and that will push us on. That will catalyze change. So that for me, both, you know, within the UK, but but globally, I think is is where I'm most hopeful, I think.
0: Right. Final question is always at an individual okay. level. So yep. it's stop and start. If you could ask everyone listening to stop doing one thing and start doing one thing right now from
1: today that will make a difference, what's that going to be? All right, the stop what's is really easy. Please, even if you only do it occasionally, please stop using your toilet as a bin. Please. Love you, Lou. Don't put anything except three P's. P, paper, poo. That's all that should go down your toilet. And then start, what can we start doing? Well, look, there's two. One is a kind of general thing and then the other is a bit more specific. The the general one is start valuing water. Just start thinking about it a little bit Mm. more, being a bit more mindful of it and see whether that helps you make different decisions. So I know that's not quite as tangible, but I do think we need to start doing that. But a very practical one, if people fancy doing something at home with a little bit of DIY, but not too much, disconnect your downpipe. If you really want to do something interesting, Take the downpipes off your gutters, if you're able to do it, and put it into a leaky water butt. And what a leaky water butt does is you can use the water for the garden if you've got one, and that's brilliant. But if you even if you haven't got a garden, that's absolutely fine. As long as you've got somewhere you can connect a water butt to your downpipe, and then what they'll do is they'll slowly release water back into the system, either into your garden or you can connect them into your drain, but they release water slowly. And what that means is you're not putting stuff into the drains that doesn't need to be there. We don't need rainwater to go into our drainage system, we can absolutely deal with that more locally. So if you can, disconnect your downpipe. That would be my thing to start doing.
0: In episode two, I spoke to Tim for about SDG 8, decent work and economic growth.
2: Growth is starting to stall, but it was always going to start to stall Mm. because... We've been driving the system based on we must make more growth, we must make more growth. And since the 1950s, everything has been growing everywhere all the time. It's it's called the Great Acceleration. Mm. And we seem to be working on this presumption that we could just continue with growth forever. And very few economists actually look past the hockey stick that they predicted of growth, 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 to say, well, what comes after that? Mm. And now we're starting to see what comes after that. Now we're at the transition point of going, well, actually... This growth isn't getting us to the place where we wanted it to be. And in fact, it's starting to slow and we're starting to see the system show the cracks. So, mm. it, so we're starting to see the breakdown. There's a great phrase that the environment is starting to send invoices back to the economy. And it's because we've always had this narrow view of economic growth as the, as the prime thing that would deliver all the other benefits that we wanted from society. Mm-hmm. And it's starting to be shown as the fallacy that it always was. Even the guy who came up with measures of economic activity at country level, Simon Kuznets, uh, uh, an economist in the 1930s in the States, even he said that measuring the national product is no way to measure the well-being of a country. Yeah. But we did, and we adopted this thing of growth, and it's become central to everything, and we've built our whole edifice around growth, but it's starting to crumble. The stats that the UN are reporting about growth starting to slow, it's absolutely right. But the challenge isn't how do we refresh growth? How do we pump more energy back into this? It's how do we find a model that moves us past growth to deliver well-being? Because ultimately, what are jobs and businesses and the economy for? It's not to create money. Money is just a social construct. Sorry, I'm stealing your words there. (laughs) But it is. Money is a social construct. It's a means to an end, not an end in itself. And the end is well-being and, and quality of life. But we've lost sight of that because the thing that we've been told to measure, that economists have, have, have obsessed about, that then translates into business and banking and investment and everything else, is just the money bit of it. Yeah. But actually, economic wealth, prosperity, is built on a much broader series of capitals than just money. There's environmental capital, there's social capital, there's so much more that goes into it. But we just measure one, one small bit of it. So that's why growth is starting to fail. And I have to be honest, it mystifies me a little why economic growth is part of the Sustainable Development Goals because it's pushing in the opposite direction to all the other goals. All the other goals are trying to deliver well-being and quality of life. Yeah. And yet by focusing on saying, well, we need to continue with economic growth though, because everything that's related to everything else, it actually undermines everything else. And that's why we're not making the progress that we expected on the sustainable development goals because they're actually in conflict with each other and it's particularly sustainable development goal 8 that's the that's the one that's in conflict with it all
0: this, so that's really interesting, that whole conflict piece, isn't it? Because you're absolutely right. We've been operating in this world for a very long time that is ultimately economy seems to come first before everything else. And then everything else seems to have to fit around the economic model that we're operating in rather than it being this is how we should live and the economic model should then fit to us. It feels the other way around. So how do we? where do we go from here? What What happens? What do we need to do?
2: So... A lot of my work is based on Donut Economics. The book Donut Economics was released in 2017 by an amazing economist called Kate Raworth. And she sums it up beautifully. She says, we've got an economy that needs to grow whether we thrive or not. We need an economy that helps us thrive whether it grows or not. And that's the difference. We need to turn it on its head. So I'm not anti-growth. I am absolutely not anti-business. Business is the most powerful agent of transformation that we've ever had, the businesses have reshaped the planet, businesses have ushered in the Anthropocene, so we, we have remoulded the planet. So that shows how powerful businesses can mm. be. We need to turn that phenomenal power onto creating a better world rather than extracting as much value and degrading as much of the environment and the process as we can whilst oppressing huge amounts of people because that's what the system is doing at the moment. So it, it, we really need to turn it on its head and say, how do we do things differently? And that is a massive, massive process. It's a massive problem. But it's one that we need to embrace. This is the most important time to be alive ever. We are the one civilization that's got an opportunity to look at what the future holds for us mm. and do something about it. Yeah. So for all that, the, the problems in the system are going to be very difficult and changing that is going to be very difficult. It's the greatest challenge that civilizations have ever faced, that humanity's ever faced. And it's our generation that are going to do something about that. And tapping into that as to the, the opportunity to, to be the generation that future generations sing songs about. Sorry, I'm,
0: <laughs> No, do you know what? When you were saying that, <laughs> I was literally just thinking... This is incredible. Mm. Like, what an opportunity we have. What an opportunity we have. And I 100% agree with you. And ultimately, this is why we're doing what we do, right? You know, businesses are going to be the change makers. It's going to be business that drives this change to a sustainable Mm. future. But what an opportunity to build a better world. And this is the thing that gets me. And I'll get on my high horse a little bit now. We seem to have been in this sort of battle with, you know, sort of all these different sides. We absolutely know we need change. But I think the longer we keep with this message of like the world is burning, the longer it will take for us to actually implement that change. And if we start to talk about it in the same way that you're talking about it now with passion and enthusiasm and looking at it as an opportunity, we are going to be the generation that creates change and that makes a difference. Oh, my God. God, I want to be part of that generation. Absol- like,
2: Absolutely. Don't we all? Absolutely. That's what, you know, the meaning of life is life, is yeah. living, it's sustaining life. And actually, by embracing that, it enables so many more people to feel that they're living meaningful, fulfilled lives. Yes. Rather than just that they're cogs in a machine, which is just extracting it what as much as it can get out of them mm-hmm. and giving them enough just, just, just to keep them happy. It's the old bread and circuses thing. If you keep the population happy, you can do what you want with them. And actually, that is not working anymore. Mm. People need to be empowered to make change in whatever way they can. And we can all do stuff. We've all got agency, particularly within our businesses. If we turn our businesses around and start to say, well, what is our area of influence? How can we do what we do best as this amazing business to make things better, not just to make money? Yeah, And that making things better Healing the situation that we face its the greatest opportunity we've ever faced. I think that's one of the things that coming at the environmental movement from this perspective, from strategic perspective that looks at, at the big picture, yeah. and from an understanding of business, which often you don't see within the environment sector, Businesses aren't just the problem, they are the solution. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and and we need to paint that upside. We need to paint a better picture and not keep telling people what they're doing wrong. Yeah. Everyone knows that things aren't working. They want to do the right thing. We need to give them the tools and the ambition and the motivation to do that. And that's what we're going to see in the, in this generation. And that's why that's why things are going to change. And and there's all that good stuff. But we're also going to drive that because there will be more problems. There will be more crises. There will be more things that we've got to get to grips with.
0: We always like to leave the podcast with a sort of statement at the end that says, what can an individual do? So if you could ask any individual watching, listening to this, to stop doing one thing and to start doing one thing, what would those two things be?
2: I think the stop is it, it, it stop making it all about money money is not the be all and end all i currently earn a third of what i used to earn and i've never been healthier or happier money is not the be all and end all so we need we need to stop putting money first well being is what's important for ourselves and for future generations both those born and those yet to come the thing we need to start is making that emotional connection to the needs of future generations to the needs of more people on the on the planet at the moment because for all that in the Western world we're doing okay, there is an awful, awful lot of suffering in the world and it is caused by our the quality of our lives in in, in the Western world. And we need to open ourselves up to that. And it's very difficult. So the thing we need to start doing is making an emotional connection with other people because we're all humans. We're all trying to find a way to live together on this planet. So opening ourselves up to that is hard. You can see time and time again, it hits me, but that's important. Yeah, we need to absolutely. let it hit us.